I'm so glad I can join you via video today. I look forward to being back with you in person next Sunday. I hope that you've had a blessed first week of Advent. And as we begin our time together, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the technology that allows me to continue to be able to preach your word and share with my church family what you have written in your word, what you've laid upon my heart. And so, Father, I just pray that you would speak through me. I pray that your spirit would illuminate your word for each of us. Speak to our hearts. May we be open and receptive to what your spirit has to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, we focused on hope, and we talked about this idea of delivering good news. At first, there's the good news the angels delivered to the shepherds, uh, but then we also looked at the good news the angels later delivered to the women at the tomb. We saw good news when Jesus was born, and we saw good news when Jesus was risen from the dead. And we talked about how both the shepherds and the women, they became the ones that then had to deliver that good news to others. Such good news is thrilling to hear, you know, but it's even more thrilling, I think, to be able to deliver good news to other people. When you've got something good to share with others, doesn't it just swell up in your heart and you just can't wait to let that good news out? Especially when you know it's something that's going to change someone's life for the present and forever. But before these angels delivered their message of hope, they had to calm the fears of those to whom they were sent. You know, Christmas evokes a lot of emotions. I don't really think of fear as being one of them. Do you? I mean, unless you've been naughty and you're worried you're going to get coal in your stocking. I mean, I, I, fear just isn't something I think about when I think of Christmas. But maybe this year, more than any other, we have cause to fear. We fear for the future of our nation. We fear the economic impact that might come because of future policies or the pandemic. We worry about whether we're going to get together with family or friends this year for Christmas. But what did the people in that first Christmas, that nativity story, what did they have to fear? Well, Luke 1.12 tells us when Zechariah saw the angel Gabriel, he was startled and was gripped with fear. And then Mary was greatly troubled at the angel's words to her and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. We also read in Matthew chapter 1 that Joseph was afraid to take Mary as his wife because she was pregnant and the child was not his. And it says that for the shepherds in Luke 2, 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Zechariah and Elizabeth were terrified. Mary and Joseph were terrified. The angels were terrified. And after each of these encounters... The angels commanded the people, do not fear. Every time. Imagine with me being in old Zechariah's shoes, or in Mary's, or Joseph's, or the shepherd's. You're going about your business. You're not expecting anything out of the ordinary. When suddenly, boom, a warrior of light appears in front of you. Wouldn't you be the least bit startled? <laughs> I know I would. And then when it dawns on you who it is that's standing before you, might not that startling quickly give way to a holy terror? I think so. But why did those who encounter this blazing intrusion of heaven into earth, why do they react with mortal terror? What is it about our creator that strikes this kind of fear in our hearts? You know, it's no coincidence that the first emotion experienced in the Bible is fear. 
In Genesis chapter 3, it says the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, who was Adam and Eve afraid of? God. Why? Because they were naked. They were ashamed. They realized they had sinned against God. People fear God because they are sinful and he is holy. We are wickedness. He is righteousness. We are darkness. He is light. We fear God because we are his enemies. We're in open rebellion against him. And he is the one who, is, who, who will judge us. He is the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. This is the rightful source of humanity's fear of God. But is that a good thing? Is this fear a good thing? I mean, we read again and again the command to do not fear God. God commanded Joshua not to fear before he led the Israelites into the promised land. Jesus told his disciples the same thing when he calmed the storm and when he walked on water, when he appeared to them in the upper room after his resurrection, he said, do not fear. But doesn't the Bible also command us to fear God? This can be a little confusing. We're commanded not to fear, but we're also commanded to fear. Proverbs 1-7 tells us that even that the fear of the Lord, it's the beginning of wisdom. Well, this isn't a contradiction. We have to differentiate between two kinds of fear. There's the fear of an enemy, and then there's the fear of a child. If people are born with this fear of an enemy kind of fear with God because we're at war with God. Paul calls us children of wrath and enemies of God in our minds. The wages of our sinful rebellion is death, physical, spiritual, and eternal. Jesus said that he came as light into darkness, but because our deeds are evil, we hate the darkness. We hate the light, and we love the darkness because we're afraid of being exposed for what we are. This is the ungodly fear that separates people from God. This is the result of sin and shame. It's the fear that Jesus came to conquer on the cross. He took God's wrath upon himself, bridged that gulf between a sinful humanity and a holy God. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That's what Jesus came to bring. That's what God desires. He desires peace and goodwill between himself and his creation. Jesus wants to rescue us from the dominion of darkness and bring us into his kingdom of light. And once someone becomes a child of God, she's no longer his enemy. She no longer has to fear God's wrathful judgment or eternal punishment. She now has a godly fear. It's like how a child fears their parents or how a servant might fear his master. In First Peter chapter 1, it says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's works impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. So as Christians, we fear God out of reverence, respect, and love, as children do their parents, as an employee might do for his boss, as an athlete 
might do for their coach. As Christians, we fear God. But it's not a fear based in punishment. First John 4 18 says there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So as his children, we don't fear God's wrath or condemnation. We, we might fear his discipline, though, right? I mean, we, we might fear him allowing us to suffer the consequences of our sin. We might fear his silence, that he will not answer our prayers, that he will make us uncomfortable and miserable so as to turn us away from sin and back to himself. The Bible says that God does discipline those that he loves, those who are his children. But it's always done in mercy, not wrath. It's always done to correct, never to destroy. A godly, healthy fear really is a gift. It's not a curse because that fear helps us to shun evil. We read that in how God describes Job. He described Job as blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Where Psalm 33, 18 says, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. Now, because of Hebrew parallelism, that psalm means that to fear the Lord is the same thing as hoping in his unfailing love. So if we can agree... That there is an important place for godly, healthy, childlike fear. A fear based out of love. One of respect and awe. One that has an awareness that God is great, holy, eternal, and glorious. And the only reason we can stand before his throne is because of his grace. If that's the kind of fear we're talking about, then it can help us understand how his gospel is one of peace. The angels told the shepherds, do not be afraid. And then he tells them why. I bring you good news. It is the good news, the gospel, that conquers ungodly fear and instills a godly, childlike fear of wonderment and awe and respect. The same good news that brings a thrill of hope for the weary world also brings peace on earth. And goodwill to men. Now I want us to look at three ways in which this gospel of peace dispels our fears. How can this good news that we talked about last week, how can it overcome our fear and bring us peace? Well, there's three ways. And the first way is forgiveness. That means we have peace with our past. When we think of peace, we usually think of nations at war suing for peace or People, activists trying to stop a war from happening in the first place. But the greatest conflict in our world today isn't between nations. It's between kingdoms. It's between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world. It's between the kingdom of light and the dominion of darkness. Ever since the Garden of Eden, a sin war has raged between the holy creator God and a sinful, rebellious humanity. We read this in Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, Paul also goes on in Romans 5.10 to say that we were God's enemies by nature openly rebellious against our maker. 
We were born into this world spiritually dead in our transgressions and sins, living according to the ways of the world, following the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. The original source of all unrest and conflict and war and violence is sin. And the general leading that evil army of destruction is Satan himself. There are spiritual powers at work in this world. We must never doubt that. But Paul also says in Ephesians 6.12 that we are at war not with flesh and blood enemies. Our true enemy are the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So if the real war, if the real war is spiritual, then must not the solution be spiritual as well? If our real enemies are the power of darkness and the spiritual forces of Satan, then presidents, armies, man-made laws, none of those are the ultimate solution. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Our prince of peace is the real hope for peace in this world and in each of our lives. Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed And his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus. To do good works. Which God prepared in advance. For us to do. And again, we go back to Romans 5. Paul gives God's enemies more good news. He says, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Are you God's enemy this morning? Are you far from him, living a life of sin, rebelling against your creator? You you know, you don't have to be at war with him anymore. Jesus came as the Prince of Peace to reconcile you to your Creator so that He could no longer be your enemy, but could be your Father and your friend. 1 John 1 9 tells us if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You can make peace with your past if you put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Prince of Peace who can forgive. You have every sin. He will make you into a new creation. He will reconcile you with God and declare you righteous. And you will go from being that enemy of God to being his child. Let him rescue you from this dominion of darkness in which you live and make you a citizen of his kingdom of light and life. We can have peace with our past because there is forgiveness for our sins in Jesus. Secondly, we can have peace in our present because we can have wholeness in Christ. Just as Jesus makes peace between us and God through the forgiveness of our sins, he also makes peace right now 
in our daily lives. In Luke 1, Zechariah, remember, he prayed for God to rescue his people from the hands of their enemies, to enable them to serve God. He says, without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Zechariah then ends that prayer saying, guide our feet into the path of peace. We can have peace with God without fear in holiness and righteousness before him. We can walk that path of peace because he makes us whole. See, the Holy Spirit's work in our lives is what transforms us into the image of Christ. He makes us holy. He makes us righteous. We call this process sanctification, but it's simply this lifelong process by which we become more and more like Jesus. We are more and more aligned with God's heart as he heals our hurts, as he corrects our bad habits, as he removes the hang-ups in our lives, those things that fracture our souls and our relationships, and he makes us whole again. The Hebrew word for peace, I've talked about this before, it's shalom. And it involves so much more than just a lack of conflict. It deals with this idea of wholeness and health and well-being. Our Prince of Peace reconciles us and restores us. He eradicates our hostility with God And because of sin, he brings us spiritual, emotional, and mental health and well-being where there was only sickness and death and decay. He even restores our broken relationships and brings us peace with other people, between our fellow Christians, between our family members and our friends. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2, verses 17 and 18, when he describes how Jesus brings the Jews and the Gentiles together. That despite their differences in Christ, they're made one. He says he came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. He's talking about the Gentiles and the Jews. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. How do you need Jesus to be the Prince of Peace today in your daily walk? In your relationships, in your workplace or at school? I pray that you would let Jesus Bring peace and wholeness to your present situations, whatever they may be. Let him work through you to bring reconciliation and restoration and healing to make whole whatever is wounded and broken in your life today. You can have peace in your present because Jesus, the Prince of Peace, makes us whole. And finally, we can have peace for the future. And that gives us hope. This ties right back in to last week's theme, doesn't it? We have hope because Jesus gives us peace for our future. It's what the shepherds hear the angels sing about. It's that long-awaited promise, that yearning for peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Jesus, our Prince of Peace, not only gives us peace with our past through the forgiveness of our sins, not only gives us peace in the presence through his healing and restoring power, but he gives us peace for the future. He gives us that hope that we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry about what tomorrow holds because we know who holds tomorrow in his hands. I know that sounds a little cliche, but it's so true. We can trust the one who holds in his hands what we can't even see, what we can't even begin to predict it will be like. God not only knows it, he holds it. When Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble, he tells us take heart. I have overcome the world. He was giving us hope. 
When Jesus tells us that he's going to prepare a place for us and he will come again for us to take us there, he's giving us hope. Paul tells us there's coming a day when every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue will confess even below the earth. In in all of creation, everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's that promise that Jesus is coming back again to finish his redemptive work, to make all things new, to wipe every tear from our eye. That is hope. World peace will only come when Jesus comes again to make all things new. Oh, we can we can get little bits of it here and there. We can catch glimpses of it. We can have temporary respites from conflict. But real world peace is only going to come when Jesus returns. And all people, the Bible says, from every tribe and tongue and nation will gather as one around the throne to worship the Lamb who was slain. And we will be at peace with one another and with God. In the meantime, we're going to have trouble in this world. We will have days where we are shaken by news stories that we hear on a daily basis. We have faced difficult circumstances this year. Amen. I mean, COVID-19 uh, has been difficult. The, the lockdowns, the loss of jobs and businesses, the financial heartaches and headaches and the loss of loved ones. It has been a very difficult year filled with uncertainty. But we faced difficult circumstances long before 2020, long before words like COVID or quarantine or social distancing entered into our vocabulary. And we're going to continue to face tough, tough times. 2021 is not going to be uh, a perfect Eden. We're going to have difficulties next year, too. Take heart. Jesus, he's already there. He knows what's coming. He's victorious already. He has already overcome all of this. He's already defeated sin and conquered death. He reigns victorious. And he is coming again. And for that reason, nothing can ever separate us from God's love for us. We don't have to fear what the future holds. We already know how the story is going to end. The outcome for us is guaranteed. And for this reason, we don't have to fear our past sins and hurts. We don't have to fear our present difficulties. And we don't have to fear tomorrow's troubles. What we can do as Paul instructs us in Philippians 4. We can rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. You've heard the good news of the Prince of Peace. And I think you know what you have to do. Let Jesus make peace with your past sins. Put your trust in him for salvation, for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Let him make you right with God. 
We're going to stand and sing in just a few moments. And whether you're there in the sanctuary or like me, you're worshiping from home, I'm going to ask, ask yourself this. Where do you stand with God right now? If you were to find yourself today standing before his throne in all of his holiness, what would happen to you? Would you be standing before God as an enemy or as a child? Would your sins be there condemning you before him? Or can you say with certainty that Jesus Christ has already washed them away? Do you have any doubts about that? I pray that right now you would simply say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I've rebelled against you and I've tried to live life my own way. And I know that my sins make me guilty before you. And I have no right to expect anything from you but condemnation and eternal judgment. But today, I throw myself on your mercies. And I ask that Jesus Christ, because of his death on the cross for my sins and his resurrection from the dead, that Jesus would give me forgiveness right now. Wash away all of my sins. And I pray you would come and live within me and help me to walk in your ways, to follow your path of peace. Make me right with a holy God, Lord Jesus. I put my faith and trust in you, and I turn from my sins today. If you pray that prayer and you mean that in your heart, that's the desire of your heart, the Bible says, you will be saved. Right now, this moment, you're made at peace with God. Your past is behind you, and your future is certain. Amen. I hope you've made that decision. If you have, come down front. Uh, let, uh, let the church know you've made this decision. If you're online, send us a message. Reach out to us. We'd love to celebrate this with you. But secondly, I pray that you would let Jesus make peace in your present. He alone can make you whole. He alone is that source of healing and restoration for whatever is broken in your life today. Whatever struggles you're going through, whatever trials that you face, whatever your hurts, your habits, or your hang-ups, Turn them over to Jesus. The altar will be open if you want to just come and kneel and pray this morning. And just say, Jesus, forgive me for trying to, to fix these broken pieces on my own. I give them to you. Would you mend them and give me peace in the present? And finally, you can have peace for the future. He is our hope. No matter what tomorrow holds. No matter what uh, decisions you might have to face tomorrow, God is already there guiding you. He's already there at work making all things new to make sure that everything works out for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. So don't be anxious. Whatever it is that's bringing anxiety to your heart, again, turn it over to Jesus. Trust in him and know his peace. If maybe God is leading you to unite with this church family or to make public, a decision you've already made for Christ, we invite you to come down now as well. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that no matter what we are facing in our lives, no matter what we've done in the past, no matter what tomorrow holds, we can obey your command, do not fear. Because your gospel brings us a peace that passes all understanding, a peace that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, a peace that dispels fear and fills us with hope and wholeness and forgiveness and allows us to rejoice in the Lord always, no matter what our outward circumstances. 
Thank you for all of this, Father. I pray for these who need to make a decision today that your spirit be at work in them, drawing them ever closer to you. May they step out in faith and trust and obedience to you today and in the days to come. In Jesus' name, the Prince of Peace, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being in worship with us today. And now as we stand and as we sing, would you come and make public whatever decision God has laid upon your heart?